Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. Two weeks ago, Phil was the last Super Betty Bros. How are you feeling? Yeah, refreshed. I'm enjoying a little bit of space. It's nice to be able to listen to you yeah. sometimes now and uh, get annoyed at you and not be able to tell you off. Were you annoyed with me? <laughs> ah, no. Well, I did think you said some things which I disagreed with, mm-hmm. but there you go. Well, what a tantalising little hint. Listeners, this is because last week, for the first time, Phil and I made this particular Super Betty Bros. show a fortnightly thing and I did a, a sort of unexpected solo show looking at three films that were out then. But today, welcome to Super Betty Bros. Season 3, Episode 6, Phil. And Hurrah. what are we doing this week? This week we're going to be talking about films which Laurie might you might have heard Laurie talk about a little bit already. Uh, Downsizing, Matt Damon's film where he shrinks down and becomes a little guy. And then also, I've gone to see Phantom Thread, Daniel Day-Lewis' yeah. last film, allegedly. So he said, yeah, exactly, so he says. And obviously, listen, I reviewed Downsizing last week, so Phil's just going to give his side of the story. Must you never slant. know, maybe it's a different angle. We'll just have to <laughs> wait and see. Uh, yeah. But then we've also got What We've Been Watching, which is finally back. It feels like forever since we've done a What We've Been it's Watching. It's been so long. I'm going to do The Intern, finally, that I've been going on about for weeks. And what are you doing? I'm going to do The Founder, which is Michael Keaton as uh, Roy something or other. Good work. Roy Good McDonald, but he's There's not Roy a little McDonald. hint for how great that review's going to be, <laughs> listeners. Well The thing researched. is, it's been so long since Detailed. we've done what we've been watching that it's actually not what we've been watching this week. It's what I've been watching over the last month. That's true for me as well, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. But I can still remember all the names of my film. So there you go. Robert Kai. De Niro and <laughs> Hathaway. Don't What's the character name? I'll Nancy give you a million Myers. dollars if you can name Robert oh, De Niro's character what? name. What? Don't say that. They talk to him all the time time can i have until we actually record that bit of the show no, no! you can't be all smug and then He's not actually be able to provide it robert there you go <laughs> time will tell if i'm correct yes listeners you can get in touch with the show on superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on twitter we love getting your emails and tweets especially if you've never done so before that's our favorite thing and if you've been in touch listen out for your thoughts towards the end of the episode but in between all those things there's a little extra thing that you're going to do phil Yes, I'm going to do a little bit of a chit-chat about your, well, my filmic education. I want to see if anyone else ties in with mine. Filmic education. Film filmic, education. Film, film, filmic, film academy, you could say. Filmic, film academy. Oh, mm. maybe there's... <laughs> a really lame joke coming up. <laughs> yeah, I would spoil that. Uh, I don't think there's anything else to say, except, obviously, for the fat listeners, that the other side of us making Super Belly Bros a fortnightly thing is that I'm launching a new podcast as well, which is going to run alongside it. And it was taking a long time to get there. It feels quite confusing. It's going to be called Don't Take My Word For It, which you think is a bad name, Phil. I mean, it just sounds a bit like, don't take my word for it. <laughs> that is exactly how it's meant to I, be. I, just, I <laughs> yeah. can feel the sort of annoying person with a wine glass. But <laughs> like, maybe, obviously maybe you're going to take my word for it. put a wine glass on the album cover, because <laughs> as we record this, so I'm, not, I'm not set up yet at all. But, uh, the, but when you said it was more like, have I got news for you or something, like that sort of like satirical... But it's not satirical at no, all. No, but like, I don't know, it's just like not taking it too seriously. Yeah, And right. the whole point is that you're going to get people on and they're going to be able to say no that doesn't make sense to me or, that's right because i will have seen the films at the film screenings and things so these reviews will come out the day that these films are released and i'll have a guest in it'll be judith might even be you phil if you ever have the time imagine wow well, maybe that'd be, maybe, nice, maybe. It? That'd be fun and uh, and anyone else i can uh, persuade to join me and i'll give my opinion and they can throw stones at it as people who haven't seen the film and maybe we'll grade it like um how convinced they are by what I've said. Would they buy, what, do they buy what you think? Yeah, do they buy it? Would they go and see it? That kind of thing. So I would, it would warm my heart and my cockles, listeners, if you were to... I don't want to warm your cockles. <laughs> no, thank you. I still don't really know Keep what Keep your cockles means. away from me. <laughs> uh, if you were to listen to that. Anyway, let's move on, listeners, and do check out that podcast. What was it called again, Laurie? Don't take my word for it. Oh, gosh. And <laughs> I might even put dot, dot, dot. Oh, <laughs> right. 
I'm supporting it except for the name, but there you go. Listeners, if you, as Laurie said, if you want to email the show, you can reach us superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbabybros. Thank you very much to those guys on Patreon who support us. Last thing to say, listeners, before we move on, is we're going to do the broads again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oscar nominations have come out, but the Super Baby Bros nominations have yet to be announced. This is our annual, I think we can say now, award ceremony where we go down a little bit of an untrodden route with different sort of award categories suggested by you. We might keep some of the ones from last year. But if you've got a category or a, a nominations for a category that you have in mind for a kind of a silly, irreverent award show, then do email in the show and we'll be having, hopefully around about the same time as the Oscars, our own rewards. That's right. It was good fun last year and we were really delighted by the categories that you sent in. So what we'll do, Phil, I think maybe next week is we read out the old ones and ask people to send in their own. Yes. So do you have a think about films you've seen and who you'd want to nominate and for why? There we go. That really is everything. Let's get going, shall we? Yes. When I talked about this film to someone, Phil, they immediately finished my sentence and said, The Phantom Menace. (laughs) Because I think that is on the tip of everyone's tongue, The Phantom Anything. And it's not The Phantom in this case, it's Phantom Thread. But it did, you know, of all the films I could compare the one we're about to review to, The Phantom Menace would be just about as far away as I can possibly think. Yeah, I, I feel like this film is so down one end of the spectrum when it comes to movie types mm. and uh phantom menace is not at all <laughs> i don't know who's in the same phantom category menace. i don't think it's even in the same room it doesn't really feel like film. a film in the same way not yeah they're very 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 different listeners this is paul thomas anderson's latest film and as the the big headline is that it may be daniel day lewis's final feature film role don't believe it maybe that's just a gimmick phil to get himself yet another oscar of course no i think the guy it seems seems like a very intense sort of fellow yeah quite genuine who uh, really commits to the idea he said he was emotionally affected having done this film really Fancy yeah. Fred. and uh i think as soon as a good role a juicy role a role that intrigues his sort of acting sensibilities comes along i think he will come out of retirement but it maybe just wants a break for a while yeah, interesting. Well, it's a hard one to sort of describe, listeners. It's about the dressmaking, well, sort of like a fake version of the dressmaking culture of 1950s London, particularly these fashion houses, which were these amazing Victorian, huge, high-ceilinged, multi-storied houses where an eccentric fashion designer might live and they provide the glad rags for the rich and famous socialites of the of the scene, whether it be like minor royalty or just very, very well-bred and wealthy people. And Daniel Day-Lewis plays Reynolds Woodcock, who is maybe first among them, right? Yes, and as I'm led to believe, the name came about uh, as a joke, and it made Paul Thomas Anderson laugh so much that he decided that that had to be the name, Reynolds Woodcock. It was conceived by Daniel Day-Lewis. It's an interesting film, listeners, because the script is made, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, but... Uh, Dan Day Lewis was massively involved in kind of constructing the ideas and character. Is around that right? It. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, should we play a trailer and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of it all? Yeah, it's just worth saying for the trailer. You're going to hear lots of voices. One, uh, the two other main voices in the film are Leslie Manville, who plays Cyril, who's his sister, and he lives in the same house and kind of manages his affairs and manages him a bit. And then Alma, who is Vicky Creeps or Creps Creeps, I don't know, Creeps, uh, who is a waitress he meets while away in the countryside, and he kind of becomes fascinated with her, uh, and she's got i think she's got a luxembourgian accent i discovered which is why it's quite hard to pin down uh but yeah here we go you can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat when i was a boy i started to hide things in the linings of the garments things that only i knew were there secrets 
Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? Yes. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I have given him what he desires most in return. <laughs> Every piece of me. <laughs> Her arrival has cast a very long shadow. She's barely looked at you this evening, has she? May I warn you of something? My brother can feel cursed that love is doomed for him. I don't like the fabric. Maybe one day you'll change your taste. Maybe I like my own taste. Just enough to get you into trouble. Perhaps I'm looking for trouble. Stop! There is an air of quiet death in this house. You're not cursed, you're loved by me. Stop playing this game. What game? What precisely is the nature of my game? All your rules and your clothes and all this money and everything is a game. This was an ambush. Stop. Are you sent here to ruin my evening and possibly my entire life? Stop it! Whatever you do, do it carefully. Laurie, did you like the music in that trailer? Johnny Greenwood's music. Yeah, He's, Mr. Radiohead. Yeah, I mean, nominated for an Oscar, Phil, and he missed out on his Oscar for There Will Be Blood because I don't think he contributed enough of the score or something like that. Oh, really? Okay. And in this one, Phil, I, I can't help but notice, I did spot, or rather my ears did pick up on one of Debussy's uh, famous string quartet movements, uh, which seamlessly blended in with the rest. I take it you didn't notice that. No, I did not. Yeah, so this, so even go. this film, it's not got everything. Not everything is Johnny Greenwood. Uh, it's a string piece of ghost that goes Oh, yeah. You recognise it. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, no one that else a ever. very famous thing reenacted by your voice. <laughs> Thanks you very can much. Yeah, recreate yeah. a string quartet anytime. Beautiful music, man. Flowing, swelling strings, amazing jazzy piano. But was there not Wove a part of together, you? together, may I say. Oh, very nice. But was there not a part of you which was just imagining our parents' voices? Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. They despised Johnny Greenwood's music so well, much. So. There will be blood, though. No, well, I, I just can imagine, I can imagine our father's voice saying, Oh, the music was terrible. Ruined the film. But Couldn't you watch can't it. think that about Phantom Thread because it, there was nothing dissonant about it, was there? I don't know. I really loved the music. I thought it was yeah. uh, beautiful, uh, appropriate for the time period and also unsettling at times. And it managed to make the the film have a pace and an energy which I think without it the film would have just been a bit flat and a wholeness as well because it's sort of it's a, such a bizarre world that gets painted here and it kind of I do genuinely think it weaves through it and holds it together and gives it a sense of life and reality and and it's partly because Johnny Greenwood uses multiple different styles to communicate the scene that's going on lots of different approaches and some traditional some new I it's astonishing work I kind of hope he wins the Oscar to be honest yeah I think that too I think. It's very it, it accomplished piece of music. But Phil, what did you think of the film itself? I'm your dreading little, that. I'm dreading this question. Face, your little cheeky face leads me to believe that you weren't significantly impressed. No, I think I don't really know what to think of the film. I found it almost like a meaty, chewy film that I'm still digesting. In all honesty, a bit of a gross image. But yeah, that, uh, I really, <laughs> yeah, just imagine it. It's such a refined <laughs> film and so delicate and detailed. But and do you not are. think it's dense and uh, complicated? Mm. But then a part of me is thinking maybe it's completely empty and shallow and vapid. And actually it's a load of pretentiousness air 
that is just floating around and uh, kind of much like Reynolds Woodcock's uh, demeanour. Actually, there's not really much there. He's just a bit of a weirdo, but everyone seems to love the the aesthetic that he produces. But actually, the substance, the the madness, the genius, is it really there or is it just hot air? I don't really know. That's a really good point, man. And I guess the question would be, is Paul Thomas Anderson trying to do that or not? Or is he just a master craftsman enjoying weaving a spell? Which is kind of how I felt about this film. The thing I've used lots of times talking about it is the Hall of Mirrors thing. So, you know, if you wander into a Hall of Mirrors, you know it's just the Hall of Mirrors, right? And you know what to expect. But then still, when you're in there... You're transfixed by the millions of recreations everywhere. It's unnerving. And particularly, you lose a sense of perspective and you're in this weird mirror world. And I thought with my experience of watching this film was that the characters are so weird mm. and the setting is so alien and so mannered. You kind of think this, this doesn't bear resemblance to reality. And yet because of the way that it's structured, particularly the way it's edited, the pacing of the film, the music, the performances, everything is so finely crafted. I lost my sense of perspective and I was genuinely entranced by the film. And I, I kind of felt like I was weirdly trying to empathise and understand these characters, that it makes no sense to try and empathise with. What, because they're absolutely crazy? Well, it's just the bonkers, everything about... <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I absolutely I think, do know what like, you mean. I really think it is... An ast- do you got to agree? It's an astonishingly made film because... Meticulous. It's, meticulous. Yeah, it's it's um, it is genuinely incredible. I so whether you, and, and that that leads me to the thought that maybe he doesn't necessarily have a message or so much that he wants to kind of explore so much as he just enjoys. It's just a classic film. Do you not think it would if you found out that he made it, Paul Thomas Anderson made it without any sort of actual uh, idea or theme or, or thought to uh, give? it would take away from the film massively. Not necessarily, because I thought, I think the film touches on lots of different things and it provoked me to sort of think and wonder, but not, on a, not you know, funneled down any specific sort of line. No. Interesting. I felt like it was a short story, but a film. It was the most bookish film I've ever seen. I almost felt like I could see the words describing each scene and the moods and the tensions and oh, the, yeah? the slight movements of the, the mouth or whatever it might be as they respond to little ch- like clipped bits of dialogue and spoken word well that's partly the way it's directed right because of the way the shot the shot construction you do emphasize details and expressions and minute moments don't you what i will say listeners is i've never felt a more tense breakfast scene in my life (laughs) those breakfasts are incredible and uh sound design as well they sound magnificently are you talking about butter on bread especially oh yeah (laughs) so i i could i could feel my own heart like cringing as she she scraped it far too loudly for breakfast yeah very funny what what Uh, did you think of the performances man because everyone's going to be talking about Daniel Day-Lewis he is nominated for an Oscar I think deservedly based on all the films I've seen so far deservedly interestingly this is the first time he's done a character in his own voice that is his own voice his natural no. voice yes sausages but, but the thing which is astounding <laughs> is that I think he put, plays it so perfectively I can't, I can't even think of the word for it it's just <laughs> it's it's inhabited it's lived in in a way that I genuinely I was mesmerized by the performance and I was looking at it as a performance I couldn't help but think this is Daniel Day-Lewis one of the widely regarded as one of the greatest actors possibly of all time maybe just of the era but I felt like it was a weird thing where I was both involved in the story and I saw him just as the character not as anything else and yet at the same time I'm watching it in kind of double vision where I'm also observing him as this actor yeah, I was yeah. thinking, how is he doing this how is he able to make it feel so it's so natural isn't it exactly it's and the thing is every single yeah. thing he says sounds like of course he'd say that <laughs> like not that it was written down for him but of course he would say that yeah he yeah. lives the role and 
what is also amazing about it in particular, just to kind of wax lyrical a little bit about the performance, is that I think it is scripted well as well. Yes. In the sense that here's this sort of pompous genius who's sort of obsessed with quiet and, and he's very awkward and demanding of all the people around him. And he, he has such high standards and he kind of throws a hissy fit in his own unique way when he doesn't quite get the environment he wants for his work. And yet at the same time, there's moments where he, he kind of completely breaks the fastidiousness of his character yeah. and speaks very plainly. But at the same time, those, those things which seem would like they would conflict as ideas, they seem to blend beautifully it's, it's into very, a very yeah. wide spectrum of character. And that's why I'm saying you end up sort of believing these people are real, even though they, they just can't be. Uh, I mean, I thought the same thing about Leslie Manville, who she's nominated as Best Supporting Actress, his sister there. She was fantastic. But it may, it's actually amazing that she's won that nomination because her screen time is not huge. Really? Her presence is massive yeah, in the exactly. film. And a very restrained performance with a lot of power and subtlety. It was great. And I thought they both played so wonderfully against Vicky Creeps, who just... As Alma, yeah. She's great because she's an enigma as well. And I have to say, Phil, the opening shot of the entire film almost won me over straight away because it's her sat um, by the fire in the flickering light. Mm. And I just thought, like, I've seen other people do shots like that but it felt instantly different. Would you agree with that? It and so she, she feels listed... like it's got an intangible quality to it. Yeah, and listeners, you're probably feeling a bit sick hearing us talk like this, but <laughs> like, it is an unusual film because it really does engender that kind of feeling. And I thought she was great. She wasn't naive, but she wasn't sort of opaque either. She was just, she was a great centre to the film, I thought. Genuinely, though, what did you make of the story? Because I, I still don't really know what, what to make of it I at all I you, felt like it was a horror movie at times but yeah, there's no horror there's something coming but you don't know what it is I know what you mean I thought it honestly the word I just used to describe it is fun and which I know is silly what I really had fun with this film man I laughed a lot I really did didn't you expect, I laughed my, a lot my cinema was uh, quiet as a mouse well I, you know I, if this is I this found is myself sound, chuckling though myself and I was kind of waiting for other people to sort man, of you should have seen enjoy it with the, the silliness the critic screening everyone was laughing really yeah it was really I thought it was hilarious and Daniel Day-Lewis like he could do comedy like <laughs> do you know what I mean he was so funny I don't funny. think it is a comedy film though no no but it, it I, I don't believe that Paul Thomas Anderson wasn't having fun with this film I think he was really enjoying this world that he'd made and I think he was enjoying the craft and the form but also the absurdity of these relationships and I thought it was fun and I thought it was kind of delirious like there's a particular scene around New Year's Eve which is so out of left field oh yeah very strange but oh, an amazing kind of counterpoint to the rest of the film. I I thought it was funny. I I thought it was dramatic. I didn't feel it's particularly soul searching, because I'm not sure that Paul Thomas Anderson intends for us to get close to these characters. It's more like exist in this world, and, and you're, you're more it... analysing the relationship there than the people themselves. And I think that that is more interesting. And that means it can just be about them. It doesn't have to be about you and me. It doesn't have to be about wider things. And when a film is as well crafted as this, I'm fine with that. You know, contrast that with Blade Runner 2049, which I criticised for failing, in my opinion, to really communicate to you and me and the rest of the world, is that Blade Runner is so obviously a portentous film that wants to be about big themes. Yeah. I think this film is the opposite. It, it shrinks away from that, but yeah. in, in a sense, it actually has more there. Kind Interesting. Of, yeah. I feel like I've kind of said what I want to say. Me Listeners, too. I think if you uh, are up for a dense movie which is not going to play like other movies you've probably seen this year or last year uh, go for the beautiful cinematography the wonderful direction the brilliant performances I think if you're looking for a really uh, gripping story 
maybe this isn't your film. I, I don't think know it's about uh, that. it's gripping. It's definitely gripping. I'm not going to take your word for it, Lauren. <laughs> uh, oh, well I'm going well I'm going to suggest that this is more a film for people who love characters and want to kind of get lost in a world. It's for I think it's for people who love film as well as a medium as opposed to necessarily people who love films. But I could easily see somebody watching it and getting very bored yeah, because you're sure. waiting for the plot to kind of kick in. The nature of this sort of film is it there isn't really that same drive or act structure that will carry you through and if you're looking for sort of genre conventions to kick in it just isn't there it's different, but the film yeah. will keep you guessing right to the very end i think i think a final note for me would be the costume design is incredible man and i think the just in fact Did you the not think the very the first dress that you saw it was, was a bit ridiculous. like what's this about but snow white <laughs> it was a bit of an alien dress wasn't it i kind of thought that was deliberate it almost reminded me of like a disney snow white outfit or something That's i thought literally, that yeah well snow white well said. there you go yeah yeah i wonder whether oh i thought you said so white snow white yes we're on the snow same white. page there man. i was really confused i thought no no man that's why i kept talking <laughs> uh i thought i that was almost a way of setting aside how bizarre the time was like reynolds woodcock daniel day lewis is dressed impeccably man i was quite impressed mm, by his outfits. i really liked his uh his and style he off that like slick back hair yeah i like that you saw well. him do the double brush I've, not, done that? <laughs> I've never seen somebody double brush uh l- listeners for me i'm gonna go out on a limb i'm tempted to give it an a plus because i think it is for what it in my opinion it's trying to do i think it is perfect i don't think it hits a bum note I'm going to give it an A minus because I don't necessarily buy the idea that it's. You don't think it's meaningless. I think there's there's yeah I think it is su- suggesting something, but I'm not really sure what it is, and I still haven't quite decided. And I don't I don't know if you should take everything as as funny or whether or not it's just the ridiculous. I basically I think kind of how you come into the film and what you expect of the film will dictate how you much you enjoy it and i still don't really know if i really loved it or thought what a waste of time no it's i kind don't, of, I I think the filmmaking think is a plus yeah. filmmaking a plus acting a plus but the actual film as a whole a minus i still don't really know what to make of it some people are saying instantly man that it's toxic mac- masculinity and uh exploration of that whatever toxic masculinity means uh, i think properly. it's more like idolizing a hero or a genius and possibly. what that is but, but, uh, and whether or not it's justified possibly and but to come back at that so that's what some people are saying and vicky creeps says she disagrees she thinks it's a very nuanced subtle feminist empowering film so yeah i think her character is a very interesting character yeah yeah yeah. uh my favorite line of the film do you want to hear it tell me uh the tea is gone but the interruption remains that's that was so great that was so great <laughs> and i don't want to spoil it more than that but that is that is my favorite line yeah. in the film and i thought that was a particularly funny film, a little scene awesome yeah well there you go listeners i think you can tell it's certainly one to watch listeners i reviewed this last week on the off chance you didn't hear it maybe i should give some headline thoughts but what do you think i think that might be the way to go so this is downsizing from alexander payne starring matt damon Kristen wig uh and uh what's his face christoph Waltz. and i thought fell that this is one of my favorite films for quite a long time and in particular, it's because I thought it had, it, or rather unlike Phantom Thread, it had a very central message, which is all to do with our current cultural perception of identity and purpose and our sort of questing to find where we fit in the world, in the giant world, and the mistakes that we make and the things that we try and the way that maybe there is a simpler solution to this, uh, but in, in kind of with a wry smile. And I thought that was really effectively communicated through a whole number of uh, different circumstances and relationships. I thought the performances were really, really wonderful. And basically, I disagreed with a lot of critics who feels it tries to tackle too many things at once or that it starts out well with a strong concept of being shrunk down and then loses its way and becomes too philosophical, whereas it should have just been a funny film. So I really, really loved it. Is that all right? Yep. Should we play the trailer? This is Downsizing. 
The extra large is available in cayenne, moss, and aubergine. We didn't have six and a half in the plum, so I brought you black. But I really want plum. Do you think moss is pretty? You know, I, I don't know, lady. Why don't you just pick a color, please? Dave? That's Dave Johnson. He never struck me as the kind of guy who'd go get small. Wow. So the decision to downsizing takes the pressure right off, especially money pressure. We live like kings. We're dying to move. We're really strapped. You want my advice? Lease your lands where you want to be. In leisure land, your $100,000 translates to $12 million. Wow. I just got another diamond bracelet. Pretty nifty, huh? Okay, let's go for it. Nervous? Little. I love you. I love you too. Today, you will undergo the permanent and irreversible procedure known as downsizing. All clear! It's just frantic. You've got a call. Paul, don't be mad at me. Please don't be mad. I can't leave my family. I can't leave my friends. I'm sorry, Paul. I should have been thinking more about myself. Thinking about yourself? I'm five inches tall! I know this can put a pretty big dent in anyone's self-esteem. But downsizing is about hitting the reset button. Start all over. I have allergies. Wait, wait. I'm going to take off my shoes. You may find yourself Open your eyes. in another part of the world. The world is filled with things to see. And you may say to yourself, that woman is really sick. You help her. These are the people that we should be helping. Something very big is happening. Something top secret. Why did I downsize so that I could be here right now? I finally have a chance to do something that matters. You think we're in the normal world, and then something happens. Oh my God. And you realize we're not. There's something about that music, man, which whenever I hear it in a trailer, I think, oh, this movie's going to be great. I just love it. And the days go by, oh, the wonder. This is not my beautiful house. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What a, what a There's song. something about that. It's the hologram for a king hat Yeah, as well. exactly. And that, that's the film that made me think, or the, the trailer that made me think Tom Hanks would literally be the best salesman in the universe, especially if that song was under every <laughs> There's something fit. about that music, which is so, like, fun, bizarre, funky, unsettling. It's quite a that song. That it means that it's, like, the perfect trailer because you just don't know where it's going. Like, even though I've heard that song many a time. Yeah. It's one of those weird songs which I feel kind of I like it, but it's it's making me uncomfortable at the same time. <laughs> anyway, listeners, by the by, that is uh, there you go. That was downsizing trailer. I completely disagree with Laurie. I thought it, the film was pants. Did it you really was think so that? pants? Oh. It was so 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 bad, but not for the reasons which you tried to slip in, uh, putting words in the critics' mouth so that you could put words in my mouth. That's, in case that's it because didn't. I read what they said, man. What did they? What tell me what I'm wrong about? <laughs> well, I just this. I basically what I'm saying is I'm not going down the bandwagon of the critics. I'm not going to say that it uh, starts really well with a really good concept and then kind of loses its way I'm not going to say that it's too philosophical and preachy or anything like that I'm going to say the film is boring it really? takes way too long it's no, really boring no no and no. you don't really care about Matt Damon I think Matt Damon does a good job acting it I think there is a comedy to his role that Paul is a comedic character that is I think you're right it has there's a sort of wink in his eye and there's a smile to the camera about everything that's happening in yeah, his life yeah yeah but I think the film has no idea really what it wants to do or what it wants to say. Well, I just told you what it was trying to no, say. No, but I disagree entirely. <laughs> I think the film starts off with this idea which is strong and then decides actually I'm going to put that to the side and just use it as... I'm going to use the ecological points of it 
of the the downsizing con- downsizing concept to then say something else. You are saying and what the critics say. No, 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 I'm not though because I think actually it doesn't really know what it wants to say. I don't think it genuinely that, does that know. Is, that's literally no, what no, I just no. said. They I think it tries think... to tackle too many things. So it no, no, really no, land no. On no, no, no. I don't think it is trying to tackle too many things. I think it's trying to tackle one thing, but I don't think they really know what that one thing is. How I don't understand. Maybe this is just that's just fascinating to me because I thought it was clear from start to finish that every single character is trying to just find the thing in life, whether it's a job, new house, or a new relationship, whatever. They're just trying to find the thing that is going to suddenly make sense of the world for them. And they'll suddenly find their place and the place that they belong and they'll understand their meaning and purpose and identity. Like, I mean, I feel like it was directly referenced a number of times. So do you not think it was an odd conversation when uh, Paul wakes up and his wife hasn't come with him and they have that conversation where she's just like, I just don't think you're really thinking about how I feel. I yeah, I thought I was that was funny. And he was like, "What do you mean? I'm flipping five inches tall. How do you think I feel?" <laughs> like that, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that. I feel like that directly signals it. It's basically they, they were both saying, "What about me? Yeah, what do I do in this situation?" And then there's a point as a and Matt Damon himself makes reference uh, at some point in the film about how he felt that the universe has pointed him directly to this moment. Otherwise, why would he be here? Why would this have happened? Why would this have happened? And it's like he believes that he's the centre of it all. And that finally he's going to find his place. I, I really do think... It, I think the film's just too subtle with it. So do you think it, people have misinterpreted preachiness as, in fact, a satire? Yeah, yeah. It's a wondering. It's not telling you... I don't think it's really telling you something. If The, the only thing... Uh, the only potential message in the film is that why is it more meaningful to look at big things than to look at small things? But even that, that in itself is not telling you you should look at small yeah, things. Yeah, see, I think the way it's not that... Te- and it's not telling you you should look, shouldn't look at big things. I don't it's buy into that. I think I can see, you've, you've painted an interesting frame to look at the whole sort of movie. But that's how I took it first yeah, time. Yeah, that's fair enough. You've taken that. But I dis- disagree. I think the way the film ends up, um, particularly in the, the very final kind of arc of Matt Damon's character, Paul, I think the film is sort of saying something a bit too meaningful. Like it needs to be completely vapid. But no, no. And I, I think actually there's way too much heart in the in the closing moments, in the closing ideas, for that to be the case. It needs but it to be. I ask you the question because that's a direct contrast to the scene, the literal the scene that came before, right? And I feel like I'm wrong to spoil it, Phil, because like, we can't do that. But it's in such direct contrast because the filmmakers aren't saying that's wrong necessarily. They're just pointing out the problems. And they've been pointing out the problems of that final thing throughout the whole film, haven't they? Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the film feels lost to me. And I, I like you, you made a big point about how um, you shouldn't need to watch the film again or I agree um, with that, have yes. a, uh, somebody explain it to you for, you for a film to work. The film should work off the bat. Yeah. And so therefore, as a film, I found it dull, boring and confused. And I think... It was really frustrated me that plot threads were introduced and then dropped in... Which uh, plot threads are you thinking of? His wife. His his wife that doesn't get shrunken. He never goes and sees her again after that moment. He doesn't talk to her again. Uh, You've got his um, relationship with his uh, playboy neighbour. Duchamp. Duchamp, played by Christopher Waltz, who I thought was thin and no no so this is empty I'm a, I loved his character so much because uh, I, want, I really want to talk about this with those with uh, well we can talk to me afterwards and maybe later on we can do <laughs> a like, special let me just point out to him the film is the film is very not judgmental I think and so the film highlights this person as someone if you apply the sort of question that I'm talking about which is what's your identity what's your purpose what's life about what's the world about everything else then if you then look at his character that way the filmmakers are saying something 
in his shallowness. Uh, yeah, perhaps, but maybe it's too messy. Maybe it's too sort of withdrawn and wants you to kind of read between the lines and that's where the movie is. But I, I'm i just kind of like, well, tell me what the... Show yeah, me the yeah. movie. And like, I get, I'm not an idiot. You don't have to spell it out for me, but I think you do need to give some indication. And I feel like... The whole the whole thing with all these characters—they're all swimming in uh, in in their lanes. No interaction, no impact really on each other. I don't think there's ever really conflict in the film, and any time there is, they shy away from it, and it becomes kind of just there. It doesn't mean anything. And <sighs> I don't I don't know, man. I think the you have to admit the film raises this really interesting idea, which I think lots of people can see potential in. What would happen if you could shrink down to the size of like? five inches and then be a live life what would that mean in the world yeah yeah they start raising that idea with the fact that they're taking away money from the economy uh, because suddenly they're very wealthy and they don't need as much but the thing and is for me then also is... you've got the fact that there's a the political idea is should they have as much voting power as yeah uh, yeah, yeah. all funny. these sort of things are really interesting with the concept but then the film isn't really that interested in dealing with that's that that's what i said if you go into this film you need to know it's not really about that it's just a device man it's classic literature it's a device by which you explore everything else yeah but i think basically the the more that maybe this film has got from critics is the fact that it's a good idea why don't you deal with a good idea but that's annoying that's like saying I wanted to see that film and you didn't give it to me what like Star Wars <laughs> well yeah right <laughs> yeah exactly. you got annoyed because it set up an idea no, like no, of no, a film not, and then no, it's not there no 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 we're gonna no this is just all going wrong because we're not hearing each other anymore <laughs> I'm uh, listeners I'm gonna give it uh, Laurie has given me food for thought and I wish he could have heard what he said off air because he's he's raised things which are way more interesting but he doesn't want to spoil it for anyone and I think that's uh, meritable. So I'm going to give the meritable. film. I'm making up words. <laughs> left to give right. merit like a school teacher. Uh, I'm going to give the film a B minus. I thought I liked the procedure and how they spelled out all the different steps that need to happen to get downsized. I thought Matt Damon does a good job acting. I, I Do you just... know it was originally supposed to be Paul Giamatti, like with Sideways. Ooh, if it was Paul Giamatti, it'd be it'd make more sense uh, why everyone hates him. <laughs> But um, no, I think Matt Damon does a good job. Uh, but B minus, I think it, it it raises a film that it isn't actually really being. I think that you got to like you got to admit that. I, I I don't. Well, that's the trailer's fault, and that's everyone else's fault. <laughs> it's that same as the Devil was. Yeah, uh, trailer yeah, yeah, make it yeah, far yeah, more exciting yeah. than it is. Well, they, I, found it, I just found it dull. The answer here is we need to know what you think. Who's got it right here? Pluses and minus ones. Yes, indeed. Superbellybros totally at gmail dot com. At Twitter. At Twitter. Didn't you find the moment where he realised that his skills as an occupational therapist were of value in a way that he had never anticipated? I thought that said loads about the world and I loved it. Maybe it's, uh, maybe you're feeling downsized. (laughs) Maybe you need to be unshrunk. Academy. Yep, I'm pulling up the 2003 show Fame Academy for this stupid section. It's Film Academy. Did Fame Academy become Pop Idol or was it like the group Fame version? Academy was like the knockoff of Pop Idol and then X Factor came in and just squashed all over it. Yeah, Pop Idol. Man, just hearing the upbeat uh, arrangement of that theme takes me back in such a joyful way. It's like those were the days of S Club 7, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good times. Ah, oh, man. The thing is, is in some ways, that is completely just indulgent and irrelevant because really what I'm talking about <laughs> is... Um, I, re- I distinctly remember university days being a time when um, 
I thought I I'm I'm a film fan. I like film, mm. but I haven't seen the films that I need to see to be a film to fan. To qualify for the school and, of uh, film. So therefore, during my in between my lectures and sometimes instead of my lectures, Phil. sorry, mum and dad, uh, I I took it upon myself to educate myself. And the way that I did that was I went to HMV and I looked at the list of. Uh, four for 20 pounds or whatever and then um and i picked out films that i should have seen because i was meant to have seen them like, i can attest to this listeners because it fills room at university an entire wall was covered in dvds yeah it really is dvd city and i managed to get like a big film projector thing so it looked that, really yeah. good we watched was- um die hard three there and laughed at jeremy irons is um a very tight white vest at the yes. point in which the film goes downhill <laughs> in quite an amusing way. <laughs> but the thing is, his films like Die Hard, but I hadn't seen them because they were like uh, action-y and our parents weren't massive action fans. And, and so I thought, teens, oh, of course. i got to see Die Hard. I need to see Die Hard. So I bought Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, Die Hard 3. Like, I made my way through those films. Very and then good. I thought, oh, I need to see Aliens. And that's how I saw Alien 1 and Alien 2. And, and then I think, oh, I need to see Goodfellas and The Godfather. And, yeah. and like, I, I genuinely feel like there was this sort of weird pressure on me to like earn my film fan status yeah. and to uh, kind of complete my training, become the master I well, was always meant to be. And there's also the uh, the fact that, you know, if you're a student, and listeners, I, you might not have been a student in this kind of way, but certainly I had a lot of time on my hands as an English student. Did you go through the very much the same process? Yeah, I did exactly the same, which is why I've allowed this to be a segment on the show. <laughs> But this is it's weird, isn't it? Like, I feel like a lot of people have had to go through this yeah. weird, awkward stage where they've had to discover these films, the 100,000 films you need to see before well, you it die. Well, you can make some quite bad decisions that way as well because typically you tend to watch them on your own because your flatmates gem- won't care. Like, <laughs> and so I watch films like 2001 A Space Odyssey and Apocalypse Now and A Clockwork Orange on my own like in my dorm room and I they're like tuned by myself oh, yeah and they just freak you out like and the deer hunter as well yeah, just think, what what's, what's happening right now and you feel like your your room has become a vietnam war zone or whatever <laughs> terrifying yeah and also there's a sense in which you're not really in the right frame of mind to watch them because a couple of times with these classic movies in inverting commas mm. that you just kind of wiggle the mouse just to see what is left. <laughs> how long you know, is it yeah. oh man another two yeah, hours yeah. oh gosh it's taking so long and you're not even necessarily enjoying it but you feel like you have to have seen it yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I wanted to share my soul bear my sort of embarrassing teenage days or sort of early adulthood days and how I learned to enjoy films or whatever and quote stupid well are you asking people like when it happened to them if it happened to them yeah i'm asking people to ex- sort of share their personal stories of how they uh, became educated as a film fan how they felt they got their stripes uh wh- when did they go to film academy basically the film academy and become a film fan uh and whether or not it just is a universal thing that you go to university if you do go to university and in between lectures you watch loads of films that are classics i mean i, I rented mine from the the university library phil that's oh, very that's, that's very wise sort of required reading they were as it were mm. <laughs> i i bought them much to my mistake my student loan was not you were very swimming happy. in pepsi max cash that point, <laughs> i wasn't gonna mention it sorry <laughs> I feel like you should now. That's my fault. That's a whole other section. Phil won a cash prize from a bottle of Pepsi Max once. This yeah, is. I did. I won uh, some money. Immediately spent it. I you? did not immediately okay, spend it. Right. I spent some of it on an Xbox. 
This is immediately t- taken a tournament that I did not want to take. It's funny. It's all gone now, listeners, so nobody robbed me or anything like that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, do get your thoughts in. I'm, I'm curious. I'm sure somebody's got some interesting thing, like some wise Mr. Miyagi came down and sort of showed them their film collection or something I, like that. I would that. say probably a lot of people listening will have much better stories than us on this film because a lot of people, they had like a local cinema that showed amazing arty films. Right, and exactly. And managed to let you in, yeah, underage or whatever, and you got to see these films. And like people have got great stories. Quentin Tarantino that. style. Exactly, you know? yes. We want to hear those, right? Yeah, I'd love to hear your Film Academy stories and how... <laughs> film Academy. I'm making a thing. We play the outro music. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'd like to hear how you kind of learnt it and what your experience was. Did you enjoy it as a process? Did you feel like you had to go through it as a process? And all that sort of painful things of being a film fan. Do you know, I want to know, were there any films that really bothered you as well? Because I was really bothered by Apocalypse Now and then more bothered when I read about it and how Francis Ford Coppola kind of went nuts filming it and stuff. <laughs> so I want to know if you, you ever felt that was a mistake. <laughs> and I actually thought I was, you know, I thought I was tripping out or something at the end of 2001 because I've oh, been on my own for so long. 2001, I watched that much later yeah. and that was, that was tough. That it's was a really experience. tough. I didn't realise yeah. it was an intermission. Yeah, yeah. Good discussion. Anyway, superbabybros at gmail.com or tweet us at superbabybros. Let us know your Film Academy stories. Let's be having them. Thanks so much to the guy, the smiley Glaswegian guy, for doing that song. And also Mary with her fantastic rendition of Some Like It Hot. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Why are you, why are you making me do this, Laurie? <laughs> Sorry, I did make you do this. Oh. What have we been watching this week? Woo! I've not done that for a long time. Didn't realise I was going to until I opened my mouth. Yeah, I didn't think you were going to do it. You were very reluctant normally to do it, but you did that with so much gusto. Vim and vigour, my friend. Show must go on, as they say. Hey, it's back, listeners. It feels like forever since we've done it. Phil and I have watched loads of films, and we're going to review some of the ones that aren't at the cinema at the moment. Sort of old, sort of on streaming services, sort of on DVD, whatever. This is just stuff we watch for fun. Yeah, imagine. Okay, I'm going to kick us off with The Intern. Okay, Benjamin, I'm going to ask you one of our more telling questions for all of our interns, so I want you to, like, this is the one to really think about, okay? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? When I'm 80. And I love myself. The world is a Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the senior intern program? Seniors in high school or college? No, 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 no. Seniors in life. Hold on, what? That's our founder and CEO, Jules Austin. Any tips before I go in? Blink. Blink. She hates when people don't blink, it weirds her out. Hi, Jules. I'm Ben, your new intern. I'm glad you also see the humor in this. Be hard not to. I will email you when I have something for you to do. I'll wait to hear from you, sir. I'm terribly sorry. Excuse me. So you're Jules' new driver? No, actually, I'm her intern. That's hysterical. Andrew keeps busy. Mr. Congeniality. Everybody loves him. You should dress to impress. Tuck in the shirt. Why doesn't anybody tuck anything in anymore? Oh, I'm asking you. I'm Fiona, the house masseuse. Thank you. <sighs> How's that been? Well, it's that, that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're not as old as I thought you were. <laughs> so you're on Facebook, huh? I joined about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Well, barely than never. All right, so there are all these questions for your profile that you can answer if you want to, like people who inspire you. Jules Austin. <sighs> you do inspire Jules. Our investors just think that a seasoned CEO could take some things off your plate. I mean, get me CEO lessons. I never had anything like this in my life. This big, beautiful, exciting thing that you created. Remember who did that? Oh. 
good times. <laughs> it's moments like this when you need someone you know you can count on. Because you're my... Intern. Well, I was gonna say intern slash best friend. Look and learn, boys, because this is what cool is. How in one generation have men gone from guys like Jack Nicholson and Harrison Ford to... Oh, boy. I don't know if you remember, but we had an email to get in touch. I do remember. You do remember about the intern and they weren't a fan of the film at all. I think they felt it was boring and kind of obvious. There was one thing he said about how Anne Hathaway's character, who's the CEO of this internet company, is constantly telling us that she's busy. And like, we'll get the message. You're busy. You ride a bike around your office. Everyone says you're busy, 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 busy. But then they, he also felt that there was a too obvious a feminist angle with Robert De Niro at one point saying to her, I hate to be the feminist here, but... And there was a message in there about how... If you want to make it in the world and you want to be, you know, a, a feminist woman, a career woman, then you can't prioritise your family. You shouldn't make sacrifices for your family. This is what our email has said. Have I got that right? Yeah, I think so. I think it was more the idea that it just it was so ham-fisted in what it was su- suggesting and also seemed to have a very odd message for empowering women, which was don't worry about your family. Your career should be like can be number one. Okay. And your family just has to lump it or whatever. It was interesting. We talked about that for a while, listeners, in an, uh, our email section a few weeks back. And actually, Jude and I, my wife and I just ended up watching this not because of that email but because it was just there on amazon prime we fancied it uh and i thought it was gonna be terrible i actually really enjoyed this film Phil. What? yeah i really? thought it's gonna be so awful because the way it is trailed basically makes it look so tedious and miserable i can't even begin to describe it so robert de niro as you will have heard is a guy who you know retired. a senior program yeah i think his wife has passed away and so he he just is he has time on his hands he likes meeting people and he likes doing things and being useful and so yeah he gets he enrolls in this senior intern program that Jules and Hathaway's company has decided to take part in. She start done this internet startup thing called I think it's all about the fit. It's a bit revolutionary. It's snowballed. She's finding she's rushed off her feet. She can't quite keep up with the demands of her business. Her husband quit his job to become a house husband and look after their daughter, but she's just never around anymore. And then wouldn't you know it, her and Ben, uh, not Robert, as I thought earlier, Robert De Niro's character, end up striking up a friendship and learning stuff from each other and they support each other in unexpected ways. It just sounds to me like a magic old man movie yeah and i think there is an element of that um because robert de niro's character doesn't appear to have any obvious flaws but what i will say is that it's weirdly balanced and i think it's a kind of nancy myers thing i think she's really skilled she's a great writer she understands how to communicate things in a way that generally doesn't irritate not always but generally doesn't irritate so although he kind of is he turns up and shows the youngsters a thing or two it's not obnoxious and it's not patronizing like it, it sounded so patronizing. I know it does, and the trailer really makes it sound that way. Actually, I, f- I found it kind of compassionate and interesting. He's given a lot of respect, but not just because he's old. <laughs> he's respected because of the way that he speaks and the things that he says, and it's not showboaty. And he actually doesn't have as much screen time as you might expect either. And Robert De Niro is really, really well cast. I was su- really surprised at how they handled it. And Anne Hathaway as well does her Anne Hathaway thing, but because she's balanced against... Robert De Niro, and the the story becomes quite mature and quite interesting quite quickly. She really works within it. And the film is really not about the quirky situation. The film is entirely about 
Anne Hathaway's character and the struggles that she's dealing with, trying to hold down this job and this career that she's invented for herself through sheer determination and grit and innovation and stuff, while she really desperately does care about her family but doesn't know what to do. And also she just kind of can't handle the responsibilities at work. They're talking about getting in a CEO to help her out because she's always late to things and she can never get sign-off to people on time. And I just, I felt that it was really maturely handled which sounds patronizing for me because it's nancy myers she knows what she's doing <laughs> she doesn't need me to tell her that mm. um, and i i found myself really impressed by the themes i didn't think there was a weird feminist message i think it was more nuanced than that and i thought it was empowering but it was i think it was kind of empowering for everybody i i really don't think it is narrow like that i, I was do you really think impressed. it maybe it's been mis misplaced uh, mispainted by Possibly, I mean, that email. understanding your view or my view of downsizing, maybe I'm just reading more into it than there yeah, really is, maybe or maybe it's not explicit, but I, I felt, yeah, I think the nuance and the way that the characters are written, it's not quite as simplistic as those quotes would have you believe, and I think it's doing something quite interesting. What about this whole, oh, I'm super busy, she's really busy, 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 busy thing? Well, I think, so the downside of the film... It does sound a little bit clunky, that's what yeah. the, the impression I got from the emailer. It was funny, because the thing I really didn't like about it, and there were, there were many things I didn't like, was how it portrays businesses, and I think American films have a terrible tendency to show off businesses as if they're wonderful and you meet all your best friends there and everyone's got each other's back. My experience of business, Phil, <laughs> is more or less the opposite, where people do not have each other's back. Yeah. If anything, it's uber-competitive and knives are out. <laughs> do you know what Ooh. I mean? Like, I've, like, especially those kind of businesses where it's very trendy and digital and k- jumping off the ground. It's... Uh, I don't. I. I really annoyed me how nice they made the business look. There's one particular bit where Robert De Niro looks like he's edging someone else out of their work, who's been in that position for ages. But just because he becomes, he starts getting attention from Anne Hathaway. She starts giving him more things to do, which means that one of her trusted colleagues gets less to do, and that that colleague just takes it really, really well, and instead looks for ways that she can improve. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Yeah, they would go passive aggressive and silent, and they would start setting that like the old guy's desk on fire. Do you know what I mean? Not quite like that. Amazing <laughs> mental image that. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Take like, that, Robert. That really annoyed me. It was a very dishonest or basically kind of I don't even inexperienced idea of what these businesses are like and really idealised. I didn't like that and I think that feeds into the clunkiness of it. So all the colleagues just talk in these weird, like, they're just not real people. Mm. They're so uber positive. But... Yeah, so, and I, to, to the film's credit, it's much more focused on Anne Hathaway. I'm talking too long. I actually quite liked it. I thought it was nuanced and interesting. And basically, I supported the underlying message of the film. So, what's the grade? And I should say, instantly, I think the message, if it's helpful, it's all about communication. It's not about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're ridiculous. It's what's the grade? Not, it's not, not so you should prioritize on, career over family. It's what's, talking what's... about the importance of communication between people, all people, all the right, time. Right, communicate to me the grade. Uh, I would give it a B. Plus. I actually really enjoyed it. And you did too. Okay, superbadybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbadybros. Let Laurie know if you've seen The Intern and what you think of it. Do you agree with the listener who said it was bad or Laurie who said it was weirdly good? I thought it was weirdly good. Phil, what's your film, man? I'm going to do The Founder. I know what you're thinking. How the heck does a 52-year-old over-the-hill milkshake machine salesman build a fast food empire with 1,600 restaurants at an annual revenue of $700 million? One word. Persistence. Prince Castle sales. Hi, Jim. Ray, how's it going down there? Good. Swell. A lot of interest. We got an order. Six mixers. To anyone in particular? McDonald's. Care for a little tour? 
we wanted something different. And that's when my brother here comes up with one of his brilliant ideas. Orders ready in 30 seconds, not 30 minutes. Unique, original, there's nothing like this. It's revolutionary. It's exactly what it is, it's revolutionary. What is that? The Golden Arches. It's a way to make the place stand out, huh? There should be McDonald's everywhere. Franchise the damn thing. Mr. Crock. Franchise, franchise, franchise. McDonald's can be the new American church. And it ain't just open on Sundays, boys. I am flesh and I am bone. Rise up, ting, ting, like glitter and gold. How can we be almost out of capital? Did you mortgage our home? We could lose everything. I want to renegotiate my lousy deal. I can't. Can't or won't? Ray. What? No. Oh, damn it. What you ought to be doing is owning the land upon which that burger is cooked. You're not in the burger business. You're in the real estate business. Franchise Realty Corporation. It's its own separate company, which puts it outside your purview. There's a wolf in the hen house. We let him in. When's enough gonna be enough for you? Probably never. You are to stop this instant. I am through taking orders from you. You have a contract. Contracts are like hearts. They're made to be broken. Business is war. It's dog eat dog, rat eat rat. I want to take the future. I want to win. The brothers are your business partners. Make it go away. I don't care what it takes. That glorious name, McDonald's. I had to have it. You don't have it. You sure about that? Listeners, if you've just listened to that trailer, which you have, you've probably seen the best bits of the movie in a nutshell, and you've probably seen uh, a better version of the film in a trailer format, because that trailer made it seem exciting, dramatic, a bit like The Social Network, with a lot of energy and like uh, a kind of steeliness to all the characters, that simply is missing in this film. Oh, the, really? The it's founder... got the free song, the fact that it's about McDonald's, and everyone wants to you know, dig up the dirty secrets, if indeed there are any, and there probably aren't, don't sue me. <laughs> the founder is, it should be renamed The Flounder, because oh. it just wastes time setting up this character, Ray Kroc, who uh, is uh, the guy, a milkshake salesman, who um, uh, in his travels trying to sell milkshakes, he gets a phone call saying, oh, uh, we need six milkshake makers. Six? And he's like, well, you're talking crazy. Like, nobody needs six, they need one. Like, this thing makes like 70 milkshakes a an hour or whatever like you don't need more than one but anyway he goes down and he meets the mcdonald's brothers who are the guys who made the very first mcdonald's they're the guys who came up with the idea of doing fast food doing simple menus getting things out quickly efficiently being meticulous about how you're going to arrange things and and designing a restaurant that means that there's flow and everything like that and and really top quality burgers that are really simply done and uh, Ray Kroc, uh, Michael Keaton's character, sees this and says, "I'm going to make this franchise. I'm going to, I'm going to let me be part of this. I want to make sure there are McDonald's everywhere. This is brilliant. This is amazing." And then he sets about trying to make it happen. And then he starts trying to uh, push better business angles, make some uh, more money out of the products, get people more and more people franchised. But then the brothers are all about keeping it homeschooled and and organic and like very much keeping to the ethos of their original restaurant. And naturally, there's a bit of a conflict. Um, it's weird. The music in that trailer really makes it seem much better than it is. The music in the film, I think it's the first time I've ever seen a film which really was ruined by the music for me. I found it, it was like cheap music. I could, I could hear the lack of money and well, time. What, of what style? It's, it's just, it's fine, it's orchestral, but there just doesn't seem to be any sort of real sense in which it's anything other than sort of the general servicing of music. It doesn't seem like there's any idea of the theme, the content, the mood, the the kind of 
there's no added benefit of the music other than the fact that there needs to be music in a film. Right. And so the whole film feels very cheap and very shallow and not really... It seems like they're trying to make more of a story than there actually is, even though actually the bare bones of the story are really interesting. Well, because the impression I'm getting is that Ray Kroc isn't really invested in the business, but somehow he's trying to steal it from them because he's got bigger dreams than they do. That's kind of the idea, but actually in the film you find out that Ray Kroc kind of, kind of does care about the business. He really likes what these guys have done, and he thinks actually it's really important that they do keep the ethos of uh, of what they're trying to do, which is create a really simple restaurant and not get it bogged down with all this other stuff that yeah, isn't yeah, very yeah. good, and trying to create a family restaurant and everything, a genuinely American welcoming. So he, he, he buys into the ethos, but then he does want to take, like shortcuts and say, oh, we won't do, we won't use real milk. We'll use powdered milk for our milkshakes. That'll make more money and it's easier to store and everything like that. So he's a businessman. So he's kind of, he sort of argues and squabbles with the 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 two guys who actually invented McDonald's. But there doesn't seem to be a real bitterness or any sort of actual conniving. And the film just sort of plods along, and you don't really get the sense of why he's trying to really do this. Why is he trying to take away this franchise from? or this this brand from these original creators, other than the fact he's a bit frustrated that he doesn't get to make the decisions. But then at the very end of the film, they seem to tack on this other stuff as if they was constantly driven by a certain aspect. But it just doesn't seem to be there. I feel like it's it's got all the elements of what should be a really, really good story, much like The Social Network, but it's just not there, and I found it dull. Any chance that it was hamstrung by the fact that McDonald's is a very real, very powerful brand? Uh, possibly, but they don't really seem to pull punches in terms of the fact that it originally was these guys who made McDonald's and Michael Keaton's character kind of stomps all over that. But maybe they try and paint him in a better picture, I don't know. But yeah, it's just, it's a very odd film because I really thought, oh, this this sounds like a movie I'd love. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed because I'm sure we had a listener email in to say they liked it as well. Yeah, I think I did. I may, maybe, maybe I was watching in the wrong sort of mood, but for me, I think I'd give this film a C. I thought it was really, really not very good at all. There Michael Keaton does a decent job, but... It just doesn't seem to have the depth needed for his his actor calibre. Okay. Well, there you go. That's what I've been watching this week. Back in the saddle, mate. Yeah, I know. Sorry, my, I feel like my review bits have been a little bit... What do you mean? Just just a bit down on it a little bit. Maybe not so much Phantom Thread. Downsizing you. Downsizing us right? a little bit down very on. Very down on downsizing. The founder, I said the flounder. You know, yeah, I just feel yeah. like I've been a little bit sour and I don't like being sour. Well, look, we love you just as you are. That's I'm the normally important. the sweet There's one. There's a film you might want to watch called Downsizing, which really tackles this, uh, this issue <laughs> about the importance Let's move of on. knowing move who on. you are. So let's have your email song, mate. Although actually... Before you do so, I'm just it's just tweets today because I realised I read out emails last week and no tweets or last time, so I'm gonna only do tweets this week. Hit me. Tweet, 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 tweet at us. Tweet at us at Super Bailey Bros. Tweet, 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 tweet. I don't know whether it's the fact that you were nodding along with it, but I was feeling like there was a groove there. Man. I kind of, I actually felt that that time. That was, was chill. A rare time. <laughs> uh, you loads of tweets um, from a little while back, actually. So sorry, listeners. I missed that a couple of weeks ago. So here, I'm going to go through them all. Uh, Alison, first up, got in touch to say, at Super Bailey Bros, dark and light side versions of The Last Jedi are a thing, but not in the US. Apparently, choose your own Star Wars adventures are big in Japan. Wow. Uh, so, And this is an article that Alison has linked to that I'm going to retweet so you can have a look, listeners. But the basic concept is that you say which side you prefer going in, and apparently they show you a slightly different side of the film. Wow. So I don't know. I know that Star Wars That's is not a big intriguing. brand in China. 
I spoke to someone from Shanghai recently and they said, oh, it's just like a generic film. Like, and that's partly why it doesn't do very well over there or it, fail, it falls in its sort of expectations. I wonder whether that might be similar in Japan and they are trying to increase engagement, make it more of a spectacle or something. I thought it was quite well well received Japan generally. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm asking. I know in China it's not big, but I'm, I haven't really looked at it. There you go. Any Japanese uh, people or no, no Japanese people? Is Star Wars big in Japan? There you go. Have exactly. you heard of the light and the dark side? And did you do side? this? Yeah, yeah. Did you go to a choose your own uh, Star Wars screening? That's intriguing. So have a look at that, listeners, and let us know your thoughts. I mean, it was a slightly weird thing to go in and say, I choose the dark side, maybe. I don't know. Have you seen that little video on YouTube of uh, a kid in Disneyland who, like, uh, has this meant to like stand up to Darth Vader and instead she like bows to him. No, really? That's <laughs> and, like amazing. pledges allegiance to the Dark Lord. <laughs> That's some uh, cheeky parent. Yeah. yeah. Quick, quick fire training. That's brilliant. Uh, thanks, Alison, for uh, tweeting that to us. Esther got in touch um, a few times. Number one, at Super Betty Rose, the reason I struggle with dubbing of Japanese anime is because they often make the characters super American and a bit over the top to English ears. Maybe I prefer some regional UK as- accents from Manchester. That's true. That That's exactly great. what I said about Rogue One. They should have made Jin Erso Mancunian. Do you remember that? And you were like, oh, what are you yeah. talking about? She shouldn't have been like uh, someone who goes riding every weekend. It should have been, uh, yeah, someone who likes a pint or two down the local. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Esther. I mean, Phil and I are not big fans of uh, dubbing where, in most cases, but actually... I, I just think it has a unique charm sometimes. Yeah, that's true. And I think, like I said, we watched Pokemon when we were kids. And so you kind of grow up with that expectation, the slightly weird inflections as American actors try and match the mouth. I do think some some, uh, people can go overboard in their voice acting, but maybe it's because they have to just match the mood of the Japanese actors. And that's all they've got to go off. But it would be interesting to see some more English characters. Patrick Stewart is a voice in Laputa Castle in the Sky. Really? Either that that. or no. What's the other one? Or it might be a Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. That's oh, good. Okay. Uh, do you know I used to live with a guy who uh, was like one of the first uh, people to voice an anime in Spain? No. <laughs> what? Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah, no joke. Uh, is this played... in America? No, 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 no. This is in uh, when I was living in London and uh, he played me a little clip. It sounded very odd. That is it's, odd. It's very weird. It was very like, I can't really remember any of the plot details. I just remember him being like, oh, yeah. Was he it, good? Like, well, I use his Spanish. I speak Spanish. <laughs> but like, it's one of those things which, you know, somebody just casually drops in something and you think, what? That can't be true. That sounds so unlikely. Yeah, and yet... Have you followed it up? Well, he showed me the thing. <laughs> it sounded like him. You've got to tell us what that is and tweet it, mate. I will that try and find that, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Nicholas says, at Superbelly Bros, plus one to Phil and minus one to Laurie for hashtag Justice League. A pretty yeah. bad and unfinished movie with a few entertaining moments. Same for Netflix's Bright, starring Will Smith. Story with lots of potential, but very poor screenplay and script. Max Landis written all over it. Oh, dear. Watch hashtag Super Dark Times instead. I would like to watch Bright because I've heard some people say... It is the most awful thing ever. But Netflix has come out and said it's doing super well. A lot of people love well, that's it. That's all I heard about it was that critics sniffed at it, but generally people were enjoying sort like, of it. It seems out. to do do very well in Netflix's uh, criteria, mm. which is very interesting because it doesn't seem to follow the normal film lines. But it sounds like another stinker for Will Smith. Well, so we had another listener will be very happy to hear that. Mm. Um, and I'm sorry to hear you didn't enjoy Justice League, Nicholas. I know I'm probably out on a limb with that one. I, there certainly are other people who enjoyed the film. And I, I, as we discussed, ad nauseum, Phil, I think it's a lot to do with your expectations, isn't it? Mm. So my it, expectations, for example, are low. I know, Avengers, I know, this is what I was No, but to say. even for Avengers Infinity War. Um, but I actually don't think I'll enjoy it. <laughs> even I know. I think you'll get it wrong about Avengers Infinity War as well. Let's wait and see. Okay, Alistair got in touch at Super Betty Bros. Uh, a couple here I'm going to chain together from you, Alistair. Super Betty Bros. Guys, seen two cracking movies this weekend. First, 
Darkest Hour, Oldman deserves his Best Actor Oscar as superb performance and very stirring stuff. Disagree. Also, <laughs> we know you do. Also, it's all the new Disney film Coco with the kids and it was terrific. Yeah, Last 15 it. minutes Agreed. hit me very hard. Emotional, but superb. Absolutely agree. Yeah, um, yeah, we're both with you. I mean, I agree with you on Darkest Hour as well, Alistair. Phil's just out there on his own. Mm. Uh, Alistair, he continues, uh, saw the new film Early Man with the kids yesterday. This is, I reviewed that last week and have to say, very disappointing. Hardly laughed and the kids seemed bored. Not a patch on the far superior Coco and Sean the Sheep. Looking forward to seeing 12 Strong. Uh, let us know what you thought of 12 Strong, Alistair. I, I kind of enjoyed it, but right with you on Early Man. It was. I thought it was... It sounds like a very, very thin concept. That... I just, I don't know why they did it. Why did they do it? I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. And actually, the more I thought about it, the worse it gets. Which and is really uh, you compare that to Chicken Run, which is a great idea. Yeah. Which is like taking something very f- familiar and mundane and turning it into a prison escape movie. But then you think, in a way, you can see there's a similar theory, isn't there? So it's like, well, we've got this idea, chickens in a coop. And they, they, they chat and have fun, but they can't fly. They'd like to fly. Well, how can we find a story to fit that premise in these characters? How about like a prison break or make it like The Great Escape? And, you know, I, I'm, now I'm feeling like I need to go back and look at a lot of the Aardman stuff and see the same approach because that's what they did here. I want to tell a story about cavemen. I've got great character ideas. So how can we make a story out of it? Let's just make it a football story out of nowhere. Ugh, uh, it so, just seems very thin. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, moving on. Steven says, at Super Betty Rose, sounds like Phil put on a lorry suit for his grumpy review <laughs> of Darkest Hour. Oh, but no comment on whether or not I was right to or not. Yeah. I don't really know what to say about that there, Stephen, because I don't think I'm grumpy. Am I grumpy? Uh, I think you can be grumpy about films and you can be a bit cynical about them. I was a I bit was very about grumpy. three billboards. I was very grumpy and cynical about Darkest Hour. I, th- yeah. I did not like that film at all. I don't think get if you it. saw it again, you might change your mind. Don't get the it. The performance I thought it was... is great. No. <laughs> you, t- are you, you were very down on that performance. I was, you said, you like, said it was ridiculous. I, yeah, you. it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I... I genuinely cannot believe. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when oh, people dear. say it's good and he deserves an Oscar. I just think, what? What are you watching? I well, we're not in agreement. And in fact, Alistair tweeted again. I said this one for you, Phil, <laughs> to say, "Listen to your latest pod and enjoyable as usual." But have to say, not the criticism of the Darkest Hour and particularly Gary Oldman's performance, which I thought was outstanding and very moving. Easily the best Churchill ever deserves his Oscar. Feels so wrong. Well, you're so wrong. After <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> fighting talk. No, fair enough. I'm glad you enjoyed the film. As I say, welcome to your own opinion. But I just welcome I, to your own opinion. What's that? Like as in, like as in, like you're welcome to your own opinion. You're, I thought you were inviting him to be welcomed to his own opinion, as if you were giving him permission. <laughs> Here's to have your one. own opinion. <laughs> no, I'm saying just yeah. Like it's good. I like when people disagree, but I cannot agree with you at all. Mm, okay, at last few here from Esther. She says she loves hearing the bonuses. She actually starts smiling in anticipation for them. That's nice, isn't it? So more of that coming, Esther. But more than that. Uh, initial reaction from my husband on your new format last week in quotes it's a bit weird that Laurie's on his own in case you wanted feedback <laughs> is that feedback it's a I bit think weird. that is feedback I think that's uh, what I will say Esther is that actually Laurie wasn't alone because he was talking to a hoover I was doing my best that was, to talk do you want me to, to stick my face on the hoover to make it a bit better that would be lovely Phil <laughs> then you but can the talk thing to is me. if it's you then I'll be you know treating the hoover like it's got your winning personality <laughs> oh, and that right. might not be good for anyone <laughs> Uh, she also said, dead. spoiler, is it a spoiler? Didn't know from the trailer that Matt Damon's wife doesn't go through with the downsizing. Laurie, did you spoil the main twist? Phil, what do you think, having seen it? Um, well, you spoiled it for me as well, so I didn't go in knowing, not knowing that. No, but having seen the film, I think you know why I did it. Yeah, I feel like if you're going in uh, expecting that as a twist, I don't know, maybe that's a surprise, but I think 
the film isn't really about that. The film's not really about anything. Yeah. Like, oh, Phil, this is exactly why I said it because actually, <laughs> I'm, just, you, I'm, just, you, I'm just trying that's, to wind that's you what's up. In the, the trailer sets it up as if it's Matt Damon and his wife exploring and discovering this world of downsizing. That's not it. In fact, and the the situation with his wife not going through it, that's important because it sells the fact that this is a film that's kind of melancholy and a bit depressing, isn't it? And yeah, and I think he's it's, a, I think he's it's a down on luck guy. That. Exactly. Which it, fits with the whole fact that it's the, by the guy who did Sideways. Yeah, and it would have been Paul Giamatti. So it's better knowing that going in. It'll change your expectations. And that's, hopefully yeah. that means the second half, which is where lots of people fall off, makes a bit more sense. Yeah, so I d- it wasn't intended to be a spoiler. I thought, in my mind, that's actually the setup for the film because that's the point at which the actual story happens. But it does take a while to get there. Yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. Apologies if that was a spoiler. I, I, I can see in Laurie's eye that he didn't mean it. Well. No, no, I, I, I think what you're going to say, I, I agree with Laurie and he's absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're welcome to say that now if you'd like to, Phil. Nope. Right. Okay, that's all the tweets. Listeners, thank you. As ever, get in touch on superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. Oh, and we did have someone else get in touch uh, asking us if we were ever going to do videos on YouTube. I think we've... The thing about YouTube is there is a channel, but it's just got nothing on it, and we've never invested in it's it. It's because our, our content is audio, isn't it? And yeah. so it just is one of those things of, like, do we whack up the audio with loads and loads of, like, yeah. random screenshots just sort of blending together occasionally? Uh, we we haven't really worked out what the best thing to I do is. I think, like, in an ideal world, Phil and I would have so much time on our hands that we could do that because it really is time-consuming doing a YouTube video, to even just exporting the files. It just takes forever, like, hours and hours and hours. But I, and we just don't have that time. I mean, even the fact that we've got to do Super Video Bros, you know, fortnightly is part of that. So you never know. Maybe it'll happen. Something we've made it to. massive. We couldn't put our actual faces on there, though, could we? No, but, like, I think... Um... We would just... Look, people wouldn't want to watch. This is descending into meaninglessness right now. Okay. Thanks very much for being in touch, listeners. Episode 6 of Season 3 is over and done. Listeners, hope you enjoyed that. Give us your thoughts on Phantom Thread and, uh, I guess, downsizing. Well, that means that'll sort of cover that two weeks in a row now. Yeah, but this is the, the conflict there. Giving your plus ones and your minus ones if you agree with me or disagree with me or agree with Laurie and disagree with Laurie. That's right. And if you're interested in my thoughts on films like Roman J, Israel and Journey's End, and a bundle of other films uh, then you feel free to check out don't take my word for it but then we'll also cover that again when we come back to Super Betty Bros yeah you're going to put some links out I'm sure or I'll whatever. do my best yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so if uh, yeah check that out next Friday I think it is every Friday isn't it yeah it should be yeah that's the plan at the moment who knows I don't know how long it'll last we're, ju- we're seeing what works and we definitely want to hear your uh, film education stories I enjoyed that yeah film academy that's right film. <laughs> uh, but other than that listeners have a really great week next week's big film you know it's weird we're gonna to have to wait to talk about it because it's black panther shape of water Ooh, i'm looking forward to both those films i've heard great things about both of them so yeah i'm excited yeah yeah i'm looking forward to those um have a great week let us know what you've been watching of course you've I seen might even intern- try and convince uh, my uh, my special lady fiance to go see shape of water on valentine's day but i don't wow. i don't, I don't know if that's because it's not on the wednesday oh black panther's tuesday i guess you black panther on valentine's i think day, valentine's day is wednesday is it yeah oh man don't say that <laughs> i'm in trouble no not black panther what am i saying shape of water's wednesday yeah yeah that's fine is that the 14th yeah oh, right <laughs> you need to get your calendar out mate i'm in trouble right now <laughs> poor judith I've got um, uh, let's talk about let's talk about this on here Uh, listeners have a really great week let us know your thoughts on the intern and the founder as well and tell us if there are films you want us to watch and what we've been watching tell us what you've been watching all that sort of stuff be in touch superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter bye for now bye 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 alright man I've got two do your two well no I don't want to do two I've got two for you to choose from do your two have you got one no I haven't
All right. Okay, here you go. Here's your choice for today. Uh, lying on the floor or espressos with spoons? Uh, lying on the floor. I like the sound of that. Do you? I, I love think. lying on the floor. Well, so do I, Phil. <laughs> and I discovered that this week. And it was one of those things where it's something I've done many times in my life. But rarely has my mind sort of taken hold of what of, it is you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Lying on the floor is beautiful. Do you know what? In particular, this week, my son and my daughter were both giggling at each other because they were sat under the table. And Love I decided, knife. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it was such a powerful moment for me because I then lay down on the floor, like we with them and looking up at the top, at the underside of the table from the flat of my back, right? And they were loving that. They kick on, they jump, oh, up, daddy, jump all over you. Yeah, you they love that kind of stuff. But the thing, so did I, man, because do you remember the last time that you were under a table looking up at it? No. I think I must have been about four or something. No, you've done it before No, but then. do you know what I mean? Like, it was it was a really weird, powerful moment where I suddenly was back. You saw the world from the child eyes. Well, it, it was so exciting being under the <laughs> table. You do actually feel like you've got your own private world and everything's kind of topsy-turvy and brilliant. And then I just suddenly realised actually lying on the floor is the same for me. There's something about it that is just so peaceful. This is way too heartfelt. I is thought you really? were going to be like a little bit but more jokey. I think it's jokey. kind of intriguing. Like I, I find it really genuinely peaceful and surprising and weird and unique and kind of sublime in a way that lying on my bed is a little bit different, right? Mm. Because lying on bed has more connotations of like, I've got to sleep because I've got to work. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas when you floor. lie on the floor, it's like stealing peace from the day <laughs> and from the world. Take that no day. <laughs> but you know, lying on, lying on the ground, lying on the floor. Yeah, no, I like it. staring up. I love it. It's very good for your back as well well do you think it is i think it is yeah i like lying on the floor for my back or when you've eaten a bit too much and you're feeling a bit like lying on the floor sometimes is magical well, i'm glad you agree phil i didn't know this was something that we shared i think it's just uh it's just a well you don't think about it really like you say it's you don't realize it until you realize it mm. what's happening yeah well listeners i would encourage you you know if you're feeling stressed out in the middle of your day if it's not too weird to do it in your office or whatever it is you work then why not just stretch yourself out lie down stare at the ceiling see the world from a whole different point of view it's surprisingly just i don't know it does something let me throw one thing back at you though when was the last time you did the thing where you hang your head off the back of the bed and look at the world upside down uh i can't remember ever doing that you never did that as a child i'm sure i must have but it's that was, not it's that not was a memory great. everything's your blood rushes to your head and you think you're gonna your head's gonna pop that or something terrible that no like yeah it's sort of not nice but you do it anyway like when you're on a swing or something you lean all the way back no, you never no, did that. I'm sure maybe I must have done Phil, but it's not like I said. It doesn't occupy the same you space. Sh- you should live a little. I'm being too earnest here, Phil. Man, I'm right. You're very like sincere in my head, right I'm now. writing one of those books you buy at the counter of um, <laughs> lie on the ground and take in the world. Moments of calm mm. <laughs> by Laurie. There you go. <laughs>